You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday evening sermon series. Good evening. Um, so I'll give a little introduction uh, to him about myself if you don't know me. Uh, my name is Dylan Paneline. Uh, I've been at Boyce and Southern for about a year now. I'm studying to for my Master's of Divinity, doing uh, for the intent to senior pastor or youth pastor, uh, wherever God calls me. Um, really, there's not much. I just, I, I work at, or serve at uh, Chapel Park Baptist Church. It's a small church in the uh, south end of Louisville. Uh, probably about average anywhere between 40 to 50, 55 people every Sunday morning. Uh, I've been blessed to be there and to serve them. I've been there for about three or four months now. Uh, great people, love the Lord, and love to learn about Him, and it's been a pleasure to be able to serve them. But other than that, I really don't know anything else. If you have any other questions, you can ask me, but that's all, I, all I've got for you so far. So if you would turn with me to uh, Isaiah 12. Uh, so as you're turning there, I'll kind of give you a little backstory uh, leading up to where we are right now in Isaiah 12. Um, it was written, if you look at Isaiah 1, chapter 1, verse 1, it was written by Isaiah, the son of Amos, uh, which is dated to be around 740 to 681 B.C. And he's preaching or prophesying what we're like, or the praise, the prophecy that we're going to see in Isaiah 12 is going to be him speaking to Israel in the about a hundred years or so later, maybe a little over a hundred years, uh, to the Babylonian or to the uh, Israelites that will be in exile in Babylon, and what they will do when they return from exile. Um, he's talking to Judah because Judah will be the one that will be eventually taken into exile by Babylon, and this that's because if you read going through, I think early on in Isaiah in chapter two. It says that Israel has rejected the Holy One of Israel, that being Yahweh, God, um, as we know Him. Um, and He is saying, I will bring them to repentance. They will, they will repent for re rejecting me and following these false gods and these false idols because they have forsaken living for the true and one God to live and serve and be um, subjected to pagan gods that are around them, uh, being... Uh, Assyria, Babylon, Egypt, they're all kind of taking on the cultures that surround them and the other 10,000 ites that live around them. Um, they're looking for, ultimately, they're looking for satisfaction in something that they'll never find it in, and that is the false gods that they're, that they're turning themselves to and being subjected to. But 
God, Yahweh, as he's referred to in ancient Israel, uh, will purify them through judgment to bring redemption for his people, uh, which will result in eternal joy and salvation for his people. And that's kind of the passage we find ourselves in. So let me read for us real quick Isaiah 12, starting in verse 1. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for allowing us here to come and worship you and for this word. We pray that um, as this word is taught and preached that you keep it from error, you keep me from speaking error, and you allow us to hear your word and to receive your word and to live it out. Um, we pray that your Holy Spirit be moving in us and we know that your word will not come back void. So we pray that your Holy Spirit is actively working here tonight to deliver your word to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So here Isaiah is prophesying to the people of Judah and Jerusalem, calling them to repentance for the rejection of their God, of their God Yahweh. Without repentance, without them turning away from their chasing after their false gods, and we'll kind of go into that in a little detail in a little bit, um, without them turning away and returning to Yahweh and returning to obeying the law that they have been given, they will, be, they will face judgment. And as I said a minute ago, this judgment is going to be this, their exile um, into Babylon. Uh, and for the people of Judah, this is taking them away from their promised land that they, that they were promised and that they were given. Isaiah does, Isaiah does here in Isaiah 12, call for a day when, when they will return, when they will be saved from this exile, when they will be brought back to their promised land, and they will praise God for his salvation, for, them, for their temporal salvation, that they were relieved of their exile, relieved of being in a foreign land that they did not know, and being brought back to the promised land that God had promised them. Israel was joyful for that salvation, but we now can praise the Lord for our salvation that we now know that comes through Jesus Christ. And in this passage, we'll see an overflow of the different character traits of God, or three main major character traits of God, and that those will be our three points. So if you have notes, I'll give them to you now. Uh, first point will be the overflow of his wrath. Uh, second will be the overflow of his love. And the third, the overflow of his grace. Again, it'll be overflow of his wrath, his love, and his grace. So verse one will be the overflow of his wrath. And so that's where we'll start. I'll reread it real quick for us. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. So starting really in the first word, you, 
and if many of you have little uh, footnotes things, it'll tell you if you follow that footnote to the bottom, it says, the Hebrew for you is singular in this verse. And by singular, it doesn't mean the individual. It doesn't mean you or me or an Israelite there. It means the nation of Israel. That is going to be, that he's saying that you, Israel, will say in that day, you will say in the day that you are arrived back from your exile, that the Lord has saved you from that exile, that you will give thanks to him. You will praise him for the salvation that he has brought you. And that day, if we look on that, that day refers not only to their salvation, but also to the day of judgment that has come to that point. It's a simultaneous work that we'll, we'll kind of explore at different points in this, uh, I think shortly here, um, that simultaneously the Lord is judging them and judging people, but he's also bringing salvation and bringing them through, and we'll see that in a moment. So I think the, the best thing to always do to kind of get an understanding, and you'll see, I'll say it a couple times, is just to ask questions, just to gain more understanding. So it says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. So first off, why is there thanks? Why is Isaiah saying that we, or well, that Israel will give thanks? And that's, I think that's pretty easy understanding where we're coming from, that, that these Israelites will, well, not these Israelites, but Israel on that day will give thanks for their salvation, that they will no longer be under Babylon. They will no longer, no longer be under the rule of these pagan gods and these pagan people, and they will be able to return to their homeland, to be able to return to their promised land to serve God, hopefully rightly, and they will not have to face judgment. But as we know, it's a continuous cycle for Israel. Um, so going back to what I was just saying, Yahweh will simultaneously, God will simultaneously save his people as he judges others. So this judgment for Israel was using Babylon to take them into exile. And now he's going to destroy the nation of Babylon. And he's under the, under the Persians. He's going to destroy them and give the, and give the Israelites freedom. Simultaneously judging Babylon, but saving his people and bringing them back um, to their promised land. And we see that in multiple areas of the Bible that God will simultaneously judge and deliver his people. We look for the greatest example of Christ on the cross. Christ crucified, he judges those that do not believe in him and that do not trust in him through faith. He is judging, that his judgment is final on that day. You will either be saved or you will face the wrath of God. And for us, as believers, we face the salvation. We have salvation in Christ. But for others, it's the judgment. That is, their, that is their fi- the finality of Christ on the cross. And again, the second coming, when Christ comes again, some will ju- be judged, others will be delivered and have that salvation from them. But like, or So for Israel, like I was saying, it's this constant cycle of of being following Yahweh, then falling away, a prophet comes and says, turn away, turn back, or you will face judgment. They don't listen, and then they face judgment again. And then they're like, "Why, why God, why have you forsaken me? Why am I facing this judgment? Because you didn't pay attention when you were told to repent. And then it just keeps going. Uh, but here, 
again, Israel's running after these other gods. They're chasing these other gods, and God, it kind of seems like God's like, okay, you want to chase all these gods? Here you go. Like, this is your judgment. You're away from the promised land, and you're in this land. And when they're there, they're like, I don't want to be here. This, this sucks. I want to be serving you. And that's what Yahweh calls them. That's what God calls them to do, is to serve him, but they disobey him when they, have the, when they are um, in their land. I mean, this should sound maybe not in the sense of, like, running after some Baal, Baal um, but it should sound somewhat familiar to us. We're running after our own gods. Usually, the god that we follow after is ourselves, and we set ourselves up as an idol, as someone that we serve and that we, should, we look after. And that is kind of where, we, where God, we're usually found to be judged, is following after other gods, which, again, is usually ourselves. And that results in us finding the best way for us to be successful, to pursue our, um, pursue our own prosperity uh, and leaving the commands of God that he has given us in his word and that usually doesn't get us anywhere. Um, but continuing on here, notice here it says, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. At first you're like, how, you might say, God is angry with me, but he turned it away. Is there anything that I did or that Israel did to turn it away? Because God was angry at them for their sin, for their disobedience, and for them following after other gods. And the answer to that is no. There's nothing Israel did. There's nothing we can do to turn God's anger away from ourselves. It's God turning his own anger away from himself because his anger is righteous because he has given us his law, he has given us his commands to follow, but yet we reject it and we serve our own laws, our own customs that we have constructed that we think are the best for us instead of looking to his word as the plumb line for how we should live. And our anger isn't the same as God's anger. Because we like to have grudges and get mad because someone hurt our feelings and someone hurt how what we thought was right. God's anger is righteous. Our anger, 99% of the time, I would say, is unrighteous anger. It's just being, being selfish and looking for ourselves and being our feelings getting hurt instead of it being a righteous anger that comes from looking at God's word, knowing God's word, and someone disobeying it. Um, and that would constitute some kind of righteous anger, but it's still a very, very thin line. Uh, God then and God now demands us to have a, to worship him purely, to look to him, to exalt him in the preaching of his word, the singing of his word, the living out of his word. He looks for us to exalt him. He says it later in verse four. He says, proclaim that his name is exalted. God wants his name known among the nations, among the peoples of the earth, and that's our job. And he demands that pure worship. And Israel forsook that. They, they took it away and they chased after other gods, which profaned God's name among the nations. And this is the main reason why he's angry with them. They have forsaken him. And now, with Israel looking to, with Isaiah looking to this future time where Israel will thank him and be grateful for their salvation. He is also saying that 
their judgment was already, was already, the judgment on Israel was already final. It's, their, their judgment is done, and now they will face the salvation from the Lord. And this is now when he is going to comfort them, when he will bring them back to their land, will he, when he will restore them as the nation of Israel, when he will restore that remnant from Babylon that will make it through their exile, that will come back to their promised land that they, were, they once were in and now are lost. God is our comfort. He has called us to rest in him many places. We know Jesus called, tells us in the New Testament, come, to all, come all to me who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Lord and Israel, or us and Israel, are called to find that rest in God, to, to rest in him, to give our decisions, give our lives to him, and to trust in his will that we know that he will look to seek his glory and to for our good. So here's a little application for us. Uh, speaking of the Lord's anger and that it's that we have we have here. There's there's really two sides when you break it down uh, for us. There's only two sides. Um, the the anger God has towards us that if you don't have faith in Christ you will be under and you will face eternal hell and eternal damnation or you have faith in Christ which will bring you eternal salvation, eternal joy. Um, so, simple question. You can meditate on this for the rest of the passage and I will break down next the outflow of God's love but the question is, are you still under the wrath of God? Have you accepted Christ to be your savior? Are you still facing judgment because you have not recognized that God is, is angry because of our sin and because, or because of your sin and because of your disobedience to what he has commanded? So moving on to the second point, the overflow of God's love. That'll be in verses two and three. Um, I'll read those again quickly. Behold, God is my salvation, and I will, trust, I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. First off, salvation in general, salvation as a whole, is the Lord's to give. It's the Lord's that he graciously gives us, and that by his love he, he extends to us salvation for Israel here um, from their exile and salvation to us from our eternal wrath that we face under him. Uh, Isaiah, you'll notice, makes it personal, makes salvation for these people personal because he says, behold, God is my salvation because he said before, the nation of Israel will say, I, give, I will give thanks and he continues on and then we're still in that that line of thought, and he says, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust, and I will not be afraid. He's making it personal, saying each person will say this to God, that he is, our, he is their salvation. He is, and you can extend that to the nation of Israel, to the remnant that will return, that he is their salvation. They are, they're praising him for saving them from exile, from uh, service to false gods. Um, but it's interesting, I think it's interesting to see that Quickly, right after salvation, he says, I will trust and will not be afraid. Even in Israel, I think it's good to make this point. You were not saved. They were not 
um, they were not God's people in the sense of like the people going to heaven uh, from Israel just because they were Jewish, just because of their ethnicity. They still had faith in the promises of God. They still had faith in that God will, God will deliver them. God will be with them. They didn't rely, some of them relied on the fact that they were Israelites and that they were Jewish, but that would not save them. Salvation still came through, their, through belief in their promises. As you see in um, Genesis, it's Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. And therefore, salvation does not come through our own works. Uh, due to lack in trust in God, due to lack in and then believing in the promises of God, ultimately, Israel was afraid. And that's why they chased and set themselves up as their own gods, as their own idols, in order that they may further themselves. And they, this is why Isaiah is saying, you will, the remnant that returns will say, I will trust and will not be afraid. Because they have already seen that the Lord has brought them out, that he was faithful. That even though they judged him, or they judged Israel, he still loved Israel. He still was wanting to keep his promise of setting up this king that he had promised to David that will reign on his throne forever. And he was still not going to wipe them out because of their disobedience here. He was still, the Lord is still faithful then and he's still faithful now to, to accomplish his promises. And therefore, they will say in that day, I will trust and I will not be afraid because they know that the Lord is faithful to bring them out of the, the, his judgment. And they will, he will, they will see restoration to, to God, Yahweh, to their God. So I have a personal, over this last year, ever since I left here in August, um, because I made a note here that says, God calls us to see his faithfulness to deliver Israel from past experiences which will invoke trust that he will continue to deliver them. So personal story, uh, since I, I'm under um, military payment for, for college. And so you have to turn in certain paperwork and certain this and that in order for them to pay and for everything to go well. So in August, my paperwork still wasn't delivered when I got to college. Uh, it didn't get delivered until I think like two days after I got there and started class. And then after that, it was wrong. So we had to redo it. And... Payments are due, uh, tuition, housing, everything's due. And I'm freaking out because I think I'm going to get kicked out because I haven't paid. Uh, and so we're going through that. Finally, I think at the end, middle of October, so about two months after I've been there, finally gets done. I don't get paid till the end of October, and then everything's settled and we can go back to normal. So I was like, okay, not going to do that again. Make sure the paperwork's right. Make sure it's turned in on time, and I won't have to worry about it. Second semester comes around, again, happens again. Paperwork's not filled, paperwork's filled out right, just not turned in in time. Uh, not on my part, but on the part of the school. Therefore, I freak out again, think I'm going to get kicked out again. And I think that one was resolved a little bit faster. I think in, like, February it was resolved. Coming in now, uh, many of you know I got in an accident two months ago, um, and so 
I had to make a couple payments still for my car, but I had two payments withdrawal that weren't supposed to, so I lost like a couple hundred dollars out of that. Then I had another payment come out, and so by this time, I'm just like, whatever. Like, the Lord, I'm like, the Lord's going to work it out. He worked it out then. He worked it out now. Or he's going to work it out now. And so, therefore, I'm, I'm looking back. So, to make a long story short, I'm looking back over the last year and seeing that, like, me freaking out doesn't do anything. Uh, and that the Lord is faithful and he will, um, he will eventually work all things out. And so, thankfully, I got paid back already. So, praise the Lord. But... I am, but just to see the Lord's faithfulness in working in my own life has given me trust. From then, I, I lack trust in that he would work it out. But now, looking back and seeing all that happen, I'm like, the Lord's gonna work it out. He's still on his throne. He's gonna work it out. And what do I have to worry about? So for us now, talking about salvation and I mean, just salvation, we have, our implications for us is that, oh, like, do we trust, our trust isn't in ourselves, it isn't in our own work. As I just said, I, I trusted in myself that I could fix it, and I didn't. And uh, the Lord, I had to put the trust in the Lord that he is faithful, and that he is just, and that he will deliver, and I had to put my faith in that, and my trust in that, and learn to not be afraid to do that, to put that trust in there, in him, for, and especially for unbelievers here, and I, putting your trust in to him for salvation, um, I know unbelievers, I was one, um, you have, it, it's, it's hard to believe in a God that you, sometimes you see here in the Old Testament that you think is an angry God, and that doesn't care, and that he's mad, um, he's not. He's faithful. He's a compassionate God. As we we're saying now, he loves his people. He cares for his people. He wants to see his people restored and brought back to right fellowship with him. Um, and so a quote here by Spurgeon that I think is fitting says, No sin, whatever it is, shall ruin any man if he shall come to Christ for mercy. Though you are black as hell's midnight through iniquity, yet if you will come to Christ... He is ready to cleanse you. It is sin, after all, that lies at the door and blocks your way to the Savior. So Spurgeon is saying, come to Christ for mercy. He will give it. He, is, he will freely give you that gift of mercy and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We see that promise throughout the New Testament all day that, he will, that if you trust in him, he will cleanse you. As Pastor John said this morning, I think in 1 John, when we did for the Lord's Supper, uh, that he will cleanse you from all sin. In 1 John 1, 9, that he will cleanse you from your sin and unrighteousness. The reason, and more importantly, that we should be trusting in God is that he is sufficient to be, look, he lists off at the end of verse 2, my strength, song, and salvation. I, I mean, church, can we say that the Lord is sufficient to be our strength, song, and salvation? I think, I think we can. Because apart from him, we have no hope. We're lost. We're trying to lead. Uh, if he's not, we're trying to lead each other with no hope. We have no faith in anything but ourselves. And that we know time and time again will fail. His word tells us, especially in the Psalms, that he is sufficient. That he is our cup. He is our portion. That he 
he deserves and demands and over time has proven his faithfulness and that he deserves our trust to be sufficient, to be our strength, our song, and our salvation. Um, he is our strength to move throughout our day-to-day lives, to fulfill what he has called upon our lives. We can't do it in our own strength. We, have to, we, we should take up our cross daily, pray to him, rely on him to be our strength, to move us throughout the day, to move us into his season of life that he wants us in. He is our song of praise for his faithfulness in our everyday lives. Our lives should live as one of worship to the king, to be one of obedience, to be one of love for him and wanting to see his kingdom furthered and to see his glory magnified among the nations. And we should praise him. We should sing on Sunday mornings. We should, on Sunday nights, on Wednesdays, we should be singing praises to him because that's where, that should be the overflow of our love or that the love that he has shown to us, our overflow should be to sing praises back to him and to glorify his name. He is our salvation because without him, we are wretched sinners trying to lead other wretched sinners to, to where, to what. And without him and without Christ who came to be the propitiation for our sins, we, we have no salvation. We have nowhere to go. We have no hope. But Christ came and brings us eternal joy instead of our eternal damnation that we deserve. And that and in that we should we should praise him and he should be our song and our strength. And the, this joy is regardless of our circumstances. Um I mean my circumstances now um I mean I've had no car for two months until Wednesday, praise God. Uh and the entire, or not the entire time, the last like three weeks, I've been saying, thank you, Lord, for, I know this sucks, but you've given me grace and shown me humility and, and patience. Uh, the first six weeks, definitely not. Um, but I think it's good to know, uh, some, I, I got this, it says, because of God's gracious intervention, the sinner's greatest dread, being God, becomes his ultimate joy. And that in God, he is, should be feared if you are not saved, if you are not in Christ. He should be feared because you have to face this judgment. But if you are in Christ, he is your ultimate joy. He is the one that you look to to be your strength, your song, and your salvation. And he should be praised. Um, verse 3, uh, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. That should, that's a beautiful verse, I, th- I think. Um, with joy and here we see you and again if you look at that footnote it says plural that plural means the remnant the people that will come back from exile they will be the ones that will be able to draw water from the wells of salvation because the people that die the people that don't survive that exile um, being as though the exile is like a hundred years or a while in the future when they get returned I don't think most of the people as is prophesying to will live that long who knows but even then, when they're returning, people will die. But he is talking about the remnant that will return. They will be able to draw water from that salvation. And if I don't, I don't know if your mind's like mine, um, it brings me back to John. Uh, we, you, I mean, you should. I mean, Pastor John's been preaching in John for a while. John four fourteen, and says, "Where is it?" Uh, but whoever drinks of the water, Jesus says. 
to everyone, everyone who drinks of this water will never be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in, a, in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then I, John 7, uh, verses 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow the rivers of living water. And that we see, like, it's interesting because God's salvation in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament is referred to by water. I mean, you see Psalm 1, uh, Psalm 65, 9 are two examples in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms. John 7 here. Um, I mean, why, is, why do you think that is? I mean, you, salvation, if we think of water as humans, water is what? If you're in the wilderness with nothing, you need water because water is going to be the basic necessity, one of the basic necessities of life and to sustain life. Um, and if we see that, Christ is bringing us, he's saying, come to me, uh, for let, all who, or let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And he will never, and, and John 4, he will never thirst. And that's because Jesus is our basic necessity for our spiritual lives. Without him, we are dying. We are thirsty. I mean, just to use the example, um, we're lost and we are without him. We are dying. We are dead. And he will bring us living water because he is the basic necessity that gives us our strength, our praise, and our salvation. And without him, we have none of it. So a simple question to ask yourselves again, um, because here Christ is calling us to him, to have satisfaction in him, to come to him for, for fulfill, or for because he is sufficient to supply us with our strength throughout the day and our love and everything else. So one question, where are you finding your satisfaction? Are you finding it in other people, um, in your job, in your, in your work, um, in your kids, in your friends? Um, because this passage tells us to find it in him, that he is the river of living water that will supply us with all our needs. Going on to point three, uh, the overflow of grace, verses four through six. Oh, Got to get back there first. Uh, and you will say on that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy. O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So speaking on salvation in the last two verses, we see that what God has called us and that what we should be doing because what we will be praising, what we will be singing, and what God also calls us to do, and that is from the outflow, overflow of our salvation, we should be doing these things. Um, in that day, again, we see that tying back to the verse first in Psalm, or Isaiah 12, that in that day seems to be indicating that he is speaking 
um, speaking on living in the benefits of the salvation that he was just, we were, that as Israel and now us are praising, that we're thanking, that we're trusting in. Our thank you should be verbal. We should be singing praise. We should be thanking God in our prayer lives. We should be living and ultimately not just saying it and not just speaking it to God in our prayers and through song, but it should show out in our obedience, that we should be obedient to God. That is one way for us to say thank you, for us to praise him is to live for him. Our, that's, that's our gratitude. And this points again to a time, this right here in verse four and five, who, if you look at it, seems to simultaneously say the same thing, just verse five is a little more succinct. It's definitely not the Southern Baptist way to say it. Verse four is definitely the Southern Baptist way to say it. A little bit longer. Uh, but you see it here. It points to a time when Israel will once again obey the Lord. Well, he, they will once again be under his command and under his rule, and they will be living for him. Again, not for long, because eventually they'll disobey and the cycle starts again. Um, as believers in God, so speaking to us, as believers in God through his promise, which is Christ, we are to rely on him in all situations. We are to um, make him give thanks to him. We're supposed to, again, he's supposed to be our strength. But here, we're also commissioned, as you see in verse four towards the end and at the end of verse five, saying the same thing. Make known his deeds among the people. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Let this be made known in all the earth. God is, Isaiah here is commissioning Israel to be the people that God set him up, them up to be, to be people that are a lighthouse to God, that are, that are drawing people in from the nations to see the work that, that their, their Holy One has done, the Holy One of Israel. Because we see that many people come from other nations that ask or that want to know why Israel is, is achieving what they are and what they, how they are what they are. And that is due to the work of, Christ, or due the work of God. For us, he is calling us, he is commissioning us, and we see that in Matthew 28, to go, to magnify his name among the nations, to, to evangelize, to be the people that he has called us in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples, not to be a lighthouse, not to stay here and attract people, but he, that, because that was the Old Testament way that God had called Israel to be, to, to live as a holy nation, to live righteously, to obey God, and then people will come to them, and, and that's how they, the people in the old days, or the old days, the Old Testament that weren't of Israel were gonna be saved, how they were gonna be people of, of God. But now in the New Testament, we are called to go, to go to the nations, not even just to go to the nations. I, I taught last Wednesday on not, our, our mindset for missions is to go. If I say missions, you think Asia, South America, Central America, Africa, Europe, everywhere. But what about Lake Avenue? What about Main Street? What about 27? What about Avon Park? That is where we're, go we're called to go and to magnify the name of Christ, to magnify his name among the people, to exalt his name, and to sing praises to him and to show our obedience to the salvation, to the grace that he has given us, to show our gratitude for the grace that he has given us. 
We are just singing praises to God because he has always been with his people. He, ha- he is currently with his people, and he will always be with his people. And we see that um, in the Old Testament with the tabernacle, with Moses in the wilderness. They, they built the tabernacle that was where God dwelt among his people. Um, after, well, David didn't do it. Solomon did it. Solomon built the temple, and that's where God dwelt with his people. That's where they sought the presence of God because he was with them in the midst of them. Then we see, um, or now in the New Testament, after Acts 2, we see the Holy Spirit is now with us. He's with our, us as believers, and he, are, he is how we are with God. And he is where God dwells within us through the power of his Holy Spirit. Thinking about the words um, that end this uh, Isaiah 12, Holy One, of Israel, great for you, great for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Just think about those words: holy, to be set apart. God is holy; He is set apart from His creation. He is perfect. He is good. He is gracious. He is loving. He has He's wrathful and just. He's just, and He's one. He is not like these pagan gods that have a a Parthenon or. Parthenon, but granted, that's not the point. Uh, they have a plethora of gods uh, that, like Greece and Babylon and all these places had many gods that they tried to put their faith in and put whatever they wanted to in, and of Israel, that he was their covenant God. He was the one who made a covenant with them, and he is their holy one. He is the one they look to for their strength, for their song, and for their salvation, for their deliverance. Because he was faithful to them. If we look at John 1, 14, you don't have to look there. You can if you want. Um, Jesus is, he dwelt among us. He was the one that was in our midst. He was great, great in the midst is the Holy One. And Jesus was that. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is the one who was, who lived a life that we couldn't live and died a death that we couldn't and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, If you want, turn with me to Revelation 21, 1 through 6. We're not going to go into end times prophecy, but I will show you that God will always be with his people. So, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I did say six, but I meant four. Um, but we see here that it says in verse three, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be there, be with them as their God. And we see that I mean, this is a promise that God will always be with us. He, will, he, has, he has been, 
He is and he always will be. Again, that goes back to his faithfulness, that he will not disobey what his promise. He will be faithful to accomplish his promise and bring it to fruition. And we should praise God. We should thank God um, for that because without him, we don't have salvation. We don't have strength apart from him. And what do we have to praise if he is not the one to be praised? So again, verse six in Isaiah 12. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Look to God to be, that he is not this person that is far away, but he is with you through the Holy Spirit. And look forward to the promise that he will be with us in eternity. Um, So we have reason, so to conclude this all, we have reason for gratefulness as believers. We have no wrath in Christ. We have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. And we have life eternal through the rivers of living water that Christ gives. Unbelievers, what do you, what do you have to be grateful for? We have a thing called common grace. You're breathing, you're living, but without it, you, have no, you can't be grateful for what believers have. The, we have no wrath, we have righteousness of Christ, and we have life eternal. And apart from Christ, you as an unbeliever do not have that. And so I, I pray for you. I pray that you take this to know that, just to see that the anger of God will not turn away on that last day. He turned it away here to continue his promise. But he has promised that on a day he will return and there will be judgment. And on that day, there will be no chance to turn around. You, you have sealed your fate. So I, I urge you, to think about these things, to talk with someone about salvation, and to seriously consider the gospel of Jesus Christ. So to, to go back, uh, Israel in verse one was rightfully facing the wrath of God uh, for disobeying, for following other gods, and for not living for the one true God. And apart from Christ, you will face that wrath as well. You will face the anger of God and it will not be turned away on that last day. Um, The Lord saved the people of Judah in verses two and three. Isaiah prophesied that the Lord will save the people of Judah from Babylon and to keep his promise to his people. He promised to never wipe out, and and during the flood, he promised to never wipe out his people again. And he won't, but he will use other nations to judge them, to purify them. And we we are saved as through, by grace through faith in Christ in Jesus Christ and without that we are under that wrath and without faith in that we're under that condemnation Israel was called to make the deeds of, of Yahweh known to the people to, to be a lighthouse again that was, their, that was their mission to be a lighthouse to make the deeds shine forth uh, to a lost world um, we are called to do the same but differently we are not called to be stationary, but we are called to be the ships that go. We are called to be the vessels that go and carry the good news, to be um, the people that proclaim salvation and, and freedom and grace to those who, without it, are blind and are lost. And so I'm a couple application questions, an application, and then we will be done. Um, so first, take a second, think to yourself, and recognize Look back and evaluate your life, maybe from today, the last week, the last month, your entire life. Um, Recognize the sin in your own life that provokes God to anger, provokes God to wrath. 
and repent of it daily. Luke tells us to carry your cross, to die to yourself daily and carry your cross. And therefore, daily we should be recognizing our own sin and repenting of it and living for God and going and chasing after him every single day. Again, another basic application question. Have you personally believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you submitted to his lordship? And again, I asked this earlier, where do you find your joy? If it's not in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who is sufficient in all things, where are you gonna find it? Where else is that joy gonna come from? Because anything other than Jesus, anything other than God is insufficient and won't last. Are you doing anything to make the Lord's name exalted? As he says here in verse four, and yeah, four, um, proclaim that his name is exalted. Are you sharing the gospel um, with people at work, with people on the street, with lost people that are in this church? Um, Are you living as a light for Christ? Are you living and being the uh, almost kind of a lighthouse mentality? Are Are you glowing with the glory of God because you are living for him, you are communing with him daily? Um, Are you praying for the other people in your church that you may not know? It's easy to pray for people that we know, that we hang out with all the time, but what about the person that you've never seen in church? What about just praying just general for our church to see it grow, to see people sanctified, to see people growing in the love of Christ? That is something as a church that is one way to see the Lord's name exalted, to have people used in this church to maybe go down the road and share the gospel, see other people saved, to go to a different country, or to even just be a light in this church and see them grow personally. And then Alistair Begg says this, and then we will pray. God is in charge of the great reversals. He turns us from darkness to light, from sadness to joy, and from death to life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for allowing us to hear your word, to hear um, how under, without, without Christ, without the grace and the love that you showed us through him, we're under your wrath. We're under your anger. But Lord, you are faithful and you will, you, will, you will save us. You are faithful to bring us salvation and to, you are there with us in our midst Um, through your Holy Spirit, to bring us strength, to bring us praise, to bring us praise to you and to bring us salvation, Lord. uh, I thank you for this church and the encouragement and the blessing it has been to me. Uh, I pray that, Lord, that this word goes out to them and that they, they can grow from it and they grow to see each other, Lord, equipped to, to go, to make the Lord's name exalted in this city, in this state, and everywhere in the world to the nations. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we pray that we glorify your name in this, in this church and as believers in you every single day that we come together. We pray this in Christ's name.